Ben asked me to, to speak today because I was in town for a wedding. Like Ben said, this is the wedding weekend in the fall. In Tallahassee or Gainesville, places like that, you only get one weekend in the fall that you can have a wedding, and this is it. And so like many of you guys, I went to a wedding uh, yesterday, and it was uh, a ton of fun, uh, lots to eat, lots to drink and dance, and it was, it was, it was really great. Um, and it, it had me thinking, because uh, what we're going to talk about is a, is a wedding today, our passage we're in today, and it had me thinking about weddings, and you know when you get a wedding invitation? So just envision, like you get the mail, and you get an invitation, and there's usually one or two reactions, right? There's the first reaction, it's like, oh, cool, yeah, I heard they got engaged, this is exciting, woo, let's go. And the other one, if you're married, you have a girlfriend, you're like, can we be busy that weekend? Like, do I have to go? Like, do I really, like, you know what I mean? You're just kind of like trying to find any excuse possible to skip the wedding. Last night's wedding was not one of those. We're not going to be talking about one of those type of weddings, but I just wanted to acknowledge, be real with you guys, those weddings exist that you don't really want to go to, but you have to, and that's part of life. Um, but uh, that's, that's, kind of, uh, that's kind of a reality, but we're going to talk about a wedding this morning, and, and weddings are really the, the ultimate party, aren't they? If you think about the best party you've ever been to, um, the most fun you've ever had, a lot of times they're weddings, and, and there's good reason for that. Uh, the best weddings are, are super fun, uh, lots of joy and laughter, uh, great food, plenty of it, great drinks, plenty of it, and then somebody else pays for it at the end. It's really sweet. Um, and if you, if you just imagine, just kind of place yourself there, remember the music at your, the best wedding you've ever been to, remember the, the dancing and the people you were with and what you guys talked about and, and, and the, kind of the love. There's all these feelings, too, that go along with weddings. Everybody's excited and joyful. Um, and if it's one of the good weddings, you're really happy the couple's getting together instead of really bitter. And it's just like, it's, it's a lot of fun. You, you can, in a really great wedding, you can almost lose yourself in the evening. Uh, I remember Ben's wedding. Uh, I was at his house with William on Friday night, and Ben has a big picture on his wall. It's not a big picture. It's just a picture on his wall of, uh, of the, the end of their wedding. We had a, this giant, like, group shot where everybody got in a group shot, and we're all, like, sweating. The wedding was in January, but we're still, like, sweating from dancing and uh, just had a good time. And I couldn't believe at that particular wedding that it was over, you know? It had gone so fast and had been so much fun. And, uh, you know, I hadn't made my way and talked to everybody I wanted to talk to. And, and the, the DJ kept playing that song. And, then, oh, one more. we got to do that song. And you just kept dancing. And the night just goes on. And you almost forget yourself in a great wedding, don't you? You forget where you're at. You forget your problems. Uh, I have a... Uh, yeah, I almost transitioned to talking about my two-year-old after saying forget your problems. He's not one of my problems. Uh, <laughs> but I have a two-year-old. And so going to weddings is going to be a little bit more tricky because it's hard to, like, dance to Hey Ya, like, when you have, like, a two-year-old on your hip. And so, uh, like, you can almost forget, like, you have a babysitter for your kid, and you just feel young. I mean, it's awesome. The best weddings are a ton of fun. And the passage we're going to look at this morning is about a wedding, and it's about the ultimate wedding, really. Um, and this is, like Ben said, it's, it's a parable that Jesus tells. Jesus tells this story of a wedding. You guys have been working through a series called Christ the King. We've been looking at parables from the book of Matthew that Jesus tells to explain what the kingdom of God is like. And so each one, if you've been here all, all five weeks, one, good for you, good attendance, gold star. Uh, but you know that each parable begins with Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. And he begins to explain what the kingdom is like. And he uses them as, as illustrations of how God's kingdom is. And so we're going to look at a wedding uh, parable this morning. But before we do that, before we dive into the text, I want to talk for a quick minute about that phrase, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. 
If you're like me and grew up in the church a lot uh, for a long time, then you uh, probably are familiar with the phrase. It's hard to miss it. It's over 100 times or almost 100 times in the New Testament. The writers use either the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. And it's, it's simultaneously one of those that should be obvious and easy to understand. It's like, oh, yeah, kingdom, I get it, cool. And then you think about it, you're like, wait, what? It's a kingdom of... So are we moving? Like, when I become a Christian, do I have to, like, go to another country that has kings and crowns? And, like, what, what is that, right? And so there's, there's, for me, in my mind, growing up in the church, there's always been, like, a fogginess and, like, a, a, a lack of clarity on what that is. And if you're in the room and you didn't grow up in church, then you definitely don't know what it is. So we're all on the same page here. We already have unity. This is great. Um, but I want to offer, if I can this morning, a quick definition of the kingdom of God. And the, the best way I've heard it explained to me, that, that cleared it up for me, is that the kingdom means life with God under the reign of God, or life with God under the rule of God. And so there's two elements to that definition. One, we're living our life with God. There's relationship with God, which in church circles, we say that super casually. Like, yeah, I have a relationship with God, just like I have a relationship with Jessica and Rachel, and you know, like, it's a normal thing. But it's a crazy concept to think that we can have interaction with God the maker of the universe, the creator. We have a relationship with him, and so that's one aspect of the kingdom of God. The second part is we live the way he asks us to live. He's the king. He's in control. He rules and reigns over life, and things work the way he says they should work, and so that's the second aspect. So the kingdom is life with God under the rule and reign of God. Now, most of us, when we think of the kingdom, we think of heaven, right? That's kind of what we default to. It's like, yeah, kingdom of God, heaven. One day that's going to be awesome. One day it's going to be super great. Uh, but right now, we're just going to not live in the kingdom, and that's, that's the deal. But the Bible doesn't really talk about the kingdom that way. The Bible talks about it in this strange way where uh, the Bible talks at some times, like if you think about the Beatitudes in, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, where Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like, and this is how you should live. But he's talking about like right now, like tomorrow. This is how life should be. And he's almost like seems to imply that the kingdom is now. But then there's other times where the kingdom is very much something that's coming in the future that we haven't had yet. And the Bible kind of bounces back and forth between these two concepts of the kingdom of God. And so theologians and, and Bible nerds, and they're real annoying to talk to usually, but this is a really helpful phrase they came up with, is they, they basically use this phrase to describe it as the already and not yet. The kingdom is already here, but not yet fully here. And so we're going to be talking about the kingdom through this passage. You've been talking about it for the past four weeks. And so when you hear that phrase, when you read it in your Bibles on your own, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, that's what you should think of, the already and not yet. Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians. He kind of he, he clarifies this, which is what Paul does a lot in, in the Bible. It's super helpful. He says in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So now and then, already not yet. And then he says, Now I know in part... But then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So this is the already and not yet. I made a chart because I like charts. Uh, And so you can kind of see how this plays itself out. Like in real life, on one side, we can know God through Scripture. God's going to speak to us, hopefully, through his word today. He's going to explain himself. We're going to understand him. We're going to get to know him, etc. But in the not yet, the part that's to come, the kingdom that's to come, we're going to know God face to face. We're going to see him. He's not going to have to explain himself to us. He's just going to be there. It's going to be awesome. We can speak to God right now through prayer. Ben just prayed for us, and he talked to God, and God listened, and that was cool, right? But in the not yet version, the part that's to come of the kingdom, we'll interact with God face-to-face. We'll talk to him just like we talk to each other. That'll be incredible. Uh, Right now, 
What's next? Yes, we gradually grow in holiness. Uh, and so as you may or may not know, we still sin. Anybody else deal with that out here? Nobody. Whoa, okay. I need to change this message. We still, we still deal with sin and struggles and pain, and we're not, we're not quite who we should be, and we still do stuff we don't want to do. But in the not yet version of the kingdom, the one that's to come, we won't deal with any of that. There'll be no sin, no shame, no pain. We deal with heartache and, and suffering and death and all that kind of stuff now, but we do it with hope. We know that, that God's going to make it right one day. But in the new heaven, in the new earth, the new kingdom of God, we'll never deal with that kind of stuff. There'll be no pain, no tears, no sorrow. It'll be awesome. Right now, uh, we, we can experience joy. We can experience fun and experiences, and, and they're amplified in a lot of ways because we know God and what he's done for us. But in heaven, in the new kingdom, it will be perfect, and it will be constant joy and satisfaction. And so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the, the kingdom of God. Uh, another quicker way to think about it is just to call it the good life, right? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is the good life. It's what we're all chasing. It's what we're pursuing. It's the reason we live the way we live. It really drives most of our decisions in life, if you think about it. Trying to reach the good life, the American dream. Many of you guys are probably in college or have gone to college or want to go to college. And what's the reason you go to college? Because you love stressing, about, stressing out about tests and reading a bunch of stuff you don't care about? No, that's not why you go to college. You go to college because you want to get a degree. Why do you want a degree? Because you want new decorations for your apartment? No, you get a degree because you want to get a job that actually pays you more than McDonald's does. Why do you want to make more than somebody that works at McDonald's? So you can buy things and go on trips and take cool pictures and post them on Instagram so everybody will know you have the good life. Most of our decisions in life and choices are about achieving and reaching the good life, the kingdom of God. And so Jesus comes on the scene in the passage we're looking at today and says, here's what the good life is like. Here it is. And so our text is Matthew chapter 22 that I want to look at. And the question we should be asking ourselves when we think about the good life is, how do I get that? And I think that's a question we're probably already asking, as I mentioned. We're already pursuing. But I think a lot of us probably know deep down intuitively that we may not get there. But every step forward we take, it's two steps back. Every victory I have in my life is two defeats, and there's kind of this ongoing struggle. We get older and older and older, and you realize, I'm not going to achieve the good life on my own. And so Jesus comes in, and he says, this is the good life. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, and we're going to do verses 1 through 14. This is what Jesus said. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. And while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king king came back in to look at the guests, he saw their a man who had no wedding garment. king said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? The man was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few 
are chosen. So Ben's been joking a lot about how these parables are difficult to understand, and he was super gracious and gave me one that's really not that tricky. It's really not. Uh, the, the, we, we can figure out what's going on in this passage uh, just by figuring out who is who, what characters in the story are the characters in real life. So I'm going to need your help. I'm going to need you to wake up a little bit. I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to answer confidently that you know the answer. So in this story, who do you think the king is? God. You guys are Bible scholars. I like it. Who do you think the son is then? Jesus. Very good. So we've got the picture, right? God has offered, uh, is opening a banquet, and, and he's having a wedding feast for his son, Jesus. And he's saying, I want people to come to my party. I want people to come into the kingdom. I want people to step in and celebrate with me and live the good life, live life to the full, have everything they want, have every, lose everything they don't want, and it'd be awesome. That's what I want to do. And so he sends out invitations. And this passage makes it clear, if you look just a few verses ahead in your Bible, in Matthew 21, that who he's talking to, the first people he invites, are the religious leaders of the day. Look at the end of Matthew 21. You can pick up in verse 45. It says, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, and they perceived that he was talking about them, although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. And so verse 1 of our text, So Jesus spoke to them in parable. So the them in this parable is the religious leaders of the day. And these are people that would have known their Bibles super well. They would have known to be looking for a Messiah. They would have known that God was going to usher in his kingdom. These are things he'd been promising for centuries. And they would have been waiting for it and studying it and hoping for it. And so then Jesus, it, the what, what they're looking for, shows up and says, I'm here. The kingdom is here. And they go, eh, it's not exactly what we were hoping for. I'll go do something else. So that's who these people are in this passage. And then there's another group of people. There's the people he says, well, fine, if you're not coming, I'll go get somebody else. And then there's a third uh, person that, that we kind of, type of character we see in this, in this passage, and that is the man who gets in, but then gets thrown out. You know he thought he was in, right? He's like, oh, I got in. Oh, oh. he's texting his juice. It's like, I got in without a ticket. And then they throw him out. It's kind of shady. I snuck Ben into a T-Pain concert one time like that here at here the Civic Center. No joke. <laughs> I think the statute of limitations on that crime has uh, expired. It was a sweet concert. My wife, I took, my, I took Ben instead of my wife, though, and she's still mad about it. Like, she won't let me live it down. Anyways, it was a good concert. Um, what we want to do today is this. Is we want to try to answer our question, how do we get in? That's the question we would all have about the good life. How do we achieve it? How do we get in the kingdom? How do we get in this wedding banquet? And we're going to try to answer that question by looking at the three different groups of people that we just talked about. The religious leaders of the day, the people that were invited second, and the guy that was kicked out. And we're going to look and see if we can't figure out how to be the people that get to stay. Cool? So if you look at this first category, there are the people, like I said, that should have been thrilled, they should have been excited, uh, that, that, that Jesus was here, and that the kingdom was God. But look at how they react in verse 5. It says, They paid no attention, and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. This is the part of the passage where things get real weird real fast. Like Jesus sends out an invitation, the king sends out, sends out an invitation, and, and initially they, they ignore it. They just say, whatever, I'm going to go back to doing what I'm doing. I'm going to go back to uh, my job and my school or whatever. Um, they basically did, you know when you get an invitation on Facebook, right? They send you an event invitation. Number one, don't be the guy that sends tons of those. Y'all need to stop that. You guys all know who I'm talking about. There's like an event invitation, like once every seven days, there's like a party at this place. It's like, dude, just stop. I'm not coming to your Facebook thing. Anyways, 
this is like the, this basically what this reaction is, is, is they get the Facebook invitation to the event. Kingdom of heaven is here. Come join it. And, and they're like, ah, I'll just ignore it. I won't do anything with it. They don't, they don't hit accept. They don't hit no. They don't even have the decency to hit maybe. Like, really, those people are the worst, too. Like, you know if you're coming or not. Maybe it's just a nice way to say no that Facebook provided for us. They don't even do that. They just leave it undone, unchecked, sitting in that red little notifications thing in the top right of Facebook. You know what I'm talking about, right? You guys use this internet thing, Facebook. They're sitting right there, and they just ignore it. They don't ever click on it, and they just let it go unchecked, and they ignore it. Some of the people act in, in hostility. They start killing people. Um, murdering these guys. And Jesus is speaking here specifically of, of prophets of old that have proclaimed the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. John the Baptist has been killed uh, prior to this uh, for proclaiming this message that the kingdom is coming. So Jesus is talking to these religious leaders and saying, you guys have ignored the message. You guys have ignored the invitation. And some of you guys have ignored it in hostility. But others have ignored it with indifference. And I think there's probably some people, and in our culture, it's, it's becoming increasingly hostile to the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel. But for most of us this morning, I would guess the way in which we have rejected Jesus' invitation to the kingdom is through indifference. It's through not caring. It's through not making a decision. It's through not deciding one way or the other. It says they just went on back to the work, one to his farm, another to his business, without even responding to his pleas come to the kingdom, come to the invitation. Really, what that does, indifference, is it communicates that the sender isn't even worthy of a response. At least when you say no to Jesus, when you say no to the gospel, when you say no to the message of the cross, at least you can, the, the person who replies with, with a no or even with open hostility has said, I've thought about this, I've considered what you've said, and it's not for me, I don't want it. And then some people get real crazy and just kill people. But generally, they just reject it and say, no, I don't want to do that. But indifference says, you're not even worth considering. You're not even worth replying to. And I think it's dangerous because we can convince ourselves that I haven't actually rejected Jesus. I just haven't done anything with him. I haven't said yes or no. But the Bible teaches in this passage very clearly that indifference is rejection of the invitation to God's kingdom. J.C. Ryle's a famous uh, pastor in England in the 19th century, and talking about this passage, this is what he had to say. He said, There are thousands of hearers of the gospel who derive from it no benefit whatsoever. They listen to it Sunday after Sunday and year after year. They do not believe to the saving of the soul. They feel no special need of the gospel. They see no special beauty in it. They do not perhaps hate it or oppose it or scoff at it, but they do not receive it into their hearts. It goes on to say, let us search our own hearts and take heed that it is not our own. Open sin may kill its thousands, but indifference and neglect of the gospel kill their tens of thousands. What Ryle is getting at and what Jesus is going for here is, is he wants us to know that not replying to the invitation is a reply in and of itself, but it's a dangerous reply because it convinces us that everything's okay. Jesus says it's not okay. It's dangerous. The second group of people we want to look at this morning are those that were invited second. Those that came second. If we're thinking about how can we get into the banquet, these are the people we want to be. How can I experience the good life, life with God, under the rule and reign of God? Verses 9 and 10, this is, this is their story. He says, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. 
And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. I like to think of this group as the replacements. There's a lot of incredible sports movies in the world. Rudy, awesome. Remember the Titans? Amazing. But the replacements, guys, have you seen the replacements? Keanu Reeves as a quarterback? It is beautiful. It is amazing. And the, what the replacements is, is there's a story of an NFL, uh, the NFL, oh, look, dude, look at that. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to play for that man? Amazing. Gene Hackman is a football coach. Awesome. Anyways, you need, that's your assignment this afternoon. Go watch the replacements. There's a, they're an NFL team, and the players go on strike. The pros, they have a labor dispute, and they go on strike. And so what the teams do is they bring in replacements. They bring in scrubs, people who, who like, played JV football and, like, kind of know some plays and maybe are washed up or weren't very good. Or in this movie, they, there's always, like, the token guy that gets out of jail that now can play football magically. Like, all these super crazy cliches in this movie. Oh, speak, dude, this quote, Falco is his name, also super cliche, is the quarterback's name. This is a quote from the movie. He says, he says, pain heals, chicks dig scars, glory lasts forever. And that's his quote from the movie. And that like summarizes how cheesy this thing is. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, but they come in and they get to experience, just like every uh, cheesy sports movie, they get to go from terrible, awful, to glory. They get to, they get to win the big game with all the scrubs, and even the star quarterback comes back, and they don't let him play. They let Falco play. And, like, dude, to add to the cheesiness, he even, like, gets to, like, marry the cheerleader at the end of the movie. It's so, it's perfect. And what these guys do, these guys that have no business playing in an NFL stadium get to experience the fame and the glory and the exhilaration of winning the big game in front of tens of thousands of people. And it's the, the whole idea of the movie is based on the fact that these people don't belong. Falco doesn't belong in the stadium. These, these, this washed-up coach doesn't belong here. Like They don't belong in this place where they're receiving all of this glory and they're getting everything they wanted. Guys, this morning... I want to submit to you that that's the message of the gospel. That's Jesus' message for us. We don't belong in the kingdom. We don't deserve the good life. We have no business getting an invitation to this banquet. But he does it anyways. He does it anyways. And it's an incredible story. And all of these people did was just reply. They just answered the invitation. The last person I want to talk about is a guy that gets kicked out. And this is kind of where the story gets hard, uh, I think, if we're honest with ourselves. It's okay if you're reading your Bible uh, throughout the week and, and you're, you're reading stories and you're like, man, that is hard. That seems harsh. It's okay to be honest with that. This is one of those parts of the Bible that seems a little harsh. But it's in there, so we've got we to gotta talk about it. The last guy gets kicked out in verse 11. It says, The king came to look at the guests, and he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. The king said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Part of the harshness of this verse, of this guy getting thrown out of the wedding, is that, it seems like the king should have known that he wasn't going to be well-dressed. 
I mean, the king, after all, it says in the text that like the wedding was upon them, so it's like day of the wedding and nobody's coming. And so he sends his servants out on the road. He says, go find whoever, literally whoever. Just go find anybody and bring them in. Have them come. Have them come into this wedding. And so he's inviting riffraff and vagabonds and shady people, whatever cool word you want to use for people that we don't want to hang out with. He's inviting these people into the wedding. And so why is he surprised that he looks like who he invited, you know? And just in that, in that culture... Uh, just like in ours, there's, there's an attire for weddings, right? You can't just go to somebody's wedding, even if it's like kind of informal. You still can't just go to a wedding in gym shorts and a cutoff. Like you, like you have to try a little bit. It's kind of like where we are. And in, and in their culture, it's the same thing. There was proper attire that you had for the wedding. But we shouldn't be shocked that this guy doesn't have it. Maybe he didn't have time to go back and get it. Maybe he, didn't, uh, he couldn't afford it. But whatever reason, he should, he, he, like we should understand in that culture, though, uh, it, was, it was customary and, and, and typical for kings to clothe the guests at their weddings. And so uh, it's a display of wealth, and it's a, it's a way to, to up the ante of the celebration. And so basically you would come to the, to the wedding, even if you were rich, and the king would provide you a wedding outfit for the feast. And these feasts last seven days, so it's not like you just put on for a couple hours and you got to peace out. You would wear it for a week, uh, so it would probably smell bad at the end, but still look good. Um, so, anyways, can you imagine if we did that at weddings today? You, like, walk in, and there's, like, a dressing room with a bunch of Armani suits and, like, Versace evening gowns, and they're like, go for it. Pick what you want. It'd be kind of weird. But anyway, that's kind of what happens here. That's what they do. And so all of these people, all of these riffraff come in, and they come to the wedding, and, and, and the king clothes them. He gives them the clothes to wear. And so for this guy to not be wearing the wedding garment means he refused it. He said, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to stick with these jeans I haven't washed in two, two weeks and this shirt I'm wearing that I was working in the fields in. I'm, I'm going to wear that instead. And he tries basically to get in and look the part on his own. He's really faking it is what's going on. And I think this describes a lot of people a lot of times when how we approach faith and how we approach God is that we want what he offers. We want the banquet. We want the kingdom. We want the good life. We want to be free of pain and suffering and death, and we want to have joy and life and peace. We want that for sure. That looks good. I do want to go to that. But we want it on our terms. We want to dictate how we get it. And so we want to do it through pursuing uh, righteousness on our own, through good behavior, through doing good service, through just not being as bad as the guy sitting next to me. We want to do it on our terms. We don't want to admit, hey, I can't get in on my own. I actually don't deserve to be here. It's almost like a little class warfare type thing, if you think about it. And this passage is like, these are second class citizens to the people that should have been invited, that would have been able to get in on their own, who could have afforded their own wedding garment if they wanted to. And this guy can't, but he still wants to pretend like he's got it. Like he's good enough. And Jesus in this parable is telling us that you can't come into the kingdom the way you want to. You have to come in on my terms. And my terms are absolute purity and holiness and righteousness. Jesus doesn't look to the left and the right and see how you did compared to your friends. Jesus compares you to him, to himself. He says, well, here's how I am, perfect, Here's how you are, nowhere near it, you lose. And it happens every time. Every time, we never measure up. The message of the Bible, the message of the gospel, the message of this parable is that Jesus says, that's okay that you don't measure up. You're still welcome. 
you're still invited in. In fact, here's my jacket. Here's my righteousness. You wear this and come on in. Cast aside all of those works you did and effort you put into and, and sin that you've been holding on to and instead take on mine. Throughout the Bible, I think it's really cool. Uh, God has used clothing to illustrate our holiness or righteousness or standing before God. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, this is what he says. God says we, to the prophet Isaiah, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We will all fade like a leaf, and our inequities like the wind will take us away. So he says, all the work you've done, the effort you've put in, it's just not good enough to God when compared to what God can offer. It's like filthy rags. But then, when we believe in Jesus and what he's done, when we believe in the life he lived on earth, the perfect life that we couldn't live, when we believe in him dying on the cross, dying the death that we deserve, when we believe that he raised himself up from the grave and beat death like we're not able to, when we believe that he's ascended into heaven and sits in heaven waiting on us, pleading to God before us, saying, no, 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 God, let them in. They're wearing my, my clothes. When we believe that that is true and real for us, we get new clothes. You get a picture of that in Revelation chapter 7. This is the ultimate. This is the not yet that's to come. Verses 9 and 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every tribe, nation, tongue, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Friends, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you have to let the King clothe you. It's admitting you're not good good enough and you don't have what it takes, and trusting in the righteousness that He provides you. The question I want to leave you with is, where are you this morning? In that passage, where do you find yourself? Are you a person who's maybe heard about Jesus a ton and you're familiar with the message of the gospel, but you haven't acted on it? You haven't rejected it? You haven't accepted it? You're just indifferent to it, ignoring it? I would encourage you to press into that, to make a decision one way or the other. Choose what you're going to do with Jesus. Are you the person who got kicked out, who, who maybe has been faking it? And, and playing church, so to speak. You go to Project Tallahassee, not because you love God and want to serve Him, but because you, uh, you, you want to earn your way to Him. Project Tallahassee is great, and those service projects are awesome. You should continue to do them. But if you're doing them to earn God, earn God's love, I have news for you. It's going to add up to filthy rags. Or are you the third person? The person that was welcomed in, who has no business being there, but God has given you His righteousness anyways. Where are you? If that's you, if, you're, if, if, if that's you this morning, you're like, yeah, this is all well and good, but I'm in. I realize I'm not good enough. I realize I don't have what it takes. I've cast off my dirty clothes and I've accepted the righteousness of God. I believe in Jesus and I'm following him. And let me encourage you to go get some people to come with you to this wedding. Go invite people in. Go out to the highways and the byways and invite any and all to come with you. The invitation is still open. The door hasn't been closed. God's still looking for more and he's asking us to be the ones that go and tell him. Go do Project Tallahassee, not because you're trying to earn your way to God, but because God has paid the price for you already. And you want to share that love with those who need to hear it. And try your best to live a kingdom life now. Get as much of that preview as you possibly can. 
I have a, a friend in Louisville who's like a super Star Wars nerd, and I like Star Wars. It's cool. When, it come, when the next one comes out, I'll totally go see it. But this guy's like whew, way up here. You know what I'm talking about? And like every time a new preview comes out for like Star Wars, he's like, he like watches it like a hundred times, and it's like breaking down this like 37-second clip. It's like, oh, did you see that right there? And like, I'm like, dude, it is a preview. Let us just chill. Like, calm down. That's kind of like how we ought to be as Christians living for the kingdom now, trying to get as much of it as we can, as much of a foretaste, as much of a preview of it as we can, knowing God through his word, speaking to God through prayer, letting him minister to us, having a relationship with him, living the way he's called us to live because we know that that's going to bring the most joy and happiness and peace in life. Live in the kingdom now. Get as much of it as you can here on earth and invite others in. We said at the beginning we were going to look at three different people, three different characters. But really, by the time you get to the end of this parable, there's only two. There's the guys that are in and the guys that are out. And it's 100% your choice if you want to be in or not. I would plead with you this morning to come to the feast, come to the banquet, live the good life the only way it can be found. Cast aside every other pursuit you have of trying to find true life and instead live in the kingdom of God by just believing in him and what he's done for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Thank you for inviting us in to the kingdom. Thank you for clothing us in your righteousness. God, give us the faith to believe in what you've done on our behalf. Give us the courage to enter in and cast aside our own works and righteousness and instead live in freedom and life in yours. Lord, we ask for more, unashamedly ask that you would bring more people into your kingdom and that you would use this church to do it. Send us out to go get more people to experience your love and grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.